We're going to be continuing our sermon series uh, today uh, in relationships. And what we're going to look at today is a, is a thing that has uh, all of us at one point or time uh, been bitten by. Res kids, you're dismissed. Uh, the, the mic threw me off this morning. <laughs> I loved seeing the little legs run. So we're going to be looking at something today that, that has probably happened to each and every one of us in this room. Have you ever been offended by someone or been hurt by someone? Or someone has said something to you that stung you and stung you deeply? A relationship that has fallen apart because you are hurt. Have you ever been on the opposite end of that, saying something offensive or hurtful to someone else? Today we're going to look at three biblical principles on how to forgive and seek forgiveness and receive forgiveness. The title of the sermon today is Forgiveness from the Heart. Forgiveness from the Heart. We're gonna be talking about three principles today. The first is this, to forgive, we need to be humble. To forgive, we need to be humble and go to the person. To forgive, we need to be honest. To forgive, we need to be honest and reason with the person. To forgive, we need to forgive from the heart. To forgive, we need to forgive from the heart and love the person. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray as we dive into your holy word today that you'll challenge our minds and our hearts and let us wrestle with this idea of seeking forgiveness and giving forgiveness. Because we know, Father, that you have forgiven us. I pray today that you challenge us. Speak to our minds and hearts in Jesus' name, amen. There's a writer that I like to read occasionally. His name is Greg Morse, and he writes on a, uh, a website called Desiring God. Greg made a statement in one of his writings. He said this, the mind has a propensity to involuntarily replay others' offenses against us. You see the scene, you hear the words, you feel the same stab repeatedly. Like a worm, that breach threatens to burrow deeper and deeper and deeper within us. The initial shock becomes, how could they have done that to me? And the closer the relationship the greater the chance of infection. You see, when you take an event and you tie it to a series of emotions, it sears in your brain forever. When you take an event and tie it to a series of emotions, it sears in your brain forever. Let me give you a couple examples. As a small child, I would love to go to my Italian grandmother's house and I would sit at her table every morning. Every morning she baked bread. And that smell of bread every morning as a young child was a happy spot for me. I can remember my grandmother taking a knife and slicing that bread and, and giving me a piece of that bread and lathering it with butter. And as a four or five or six-year-old child, taking that piece of bread, put it in my, putting it in my mouth, and every ounce of my little body was happy. I was in my grandmother's home. I was content 
and I was eating the fruits of her labor, her bread. Several weeks ago, I was walking on Capitol Street and I was walking up past the, the, Clark's, the, the bakery up here, the Charleston Bakery, and I smelled bread being baked. My mind automatically switched and took me back X amount of years, I'm not gonna say how many, till I was four, five, or six-year-old little boy in my grandmother's house eating that bread. So that smell triggered that happy spot for me. So I was walking and I was reminiscing of my childhood. I was thinking about that bread and a big smile came over my face. Let me give you another example. Several years ago, my wife and I were driving in her vehicle and a, we were, I'm an old rock and roll guy and, and a song came on the radio, an old journey song came on the radio and I just started laughing. And my wife said, what are you laughing at? I said, oh, nothing. She asked me again, what are you laughing at? I, I repeated, oh, nothing. And then she persisted. And then I said, okay. In 1983, that was mine and my girlfriend's song. So that, hearing that Journey song took me back a lot of years. I didn't love that woman when I was in early high school. I loved my bride, Beth. But that song triggered that emotion inside of me. You see, when you take an event and you tie it to a series of emotions, it burns in our brain forever. And things trigger that. Now, let me give you a negative example of this. Uh, back when I was in school, that we didn't have middle school. We had junior high. And it was seven, eight, and ninth grades. So in my ninth grade year, towards the end of the year, uh, I was in a class of about 30 to 35 people. And the teacher was going around the room and asking this question, when you get out of high school, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to work? Do you want to go to trade school? Do you want to go to the military? Do you want to go to college? So as it was going around the room, it became my turn. And I voiced this. Mrs. Barbario was her name, and she asked me this question. When you get out of uh, high school, what would you like to do, Ted? I said, well, I, I think I'd like to go to WVU and, and get an undergraduate degree in either history or political science, and then maybe go to law school. The teacher, Mrs. Barbario, laughed in front of the whole entire class and made this statement. You're not college material, Ted. That stung me. I was a 14, 15 year old guy and having those negative words, that stung me. Several years ago, when the Town Center Mall used to be the Town Center Mall instead of the zombie mall now, um, I was walking in the Town Center Mall and I saw that particular teacher. And in my mind, I got really defensive. I said, in my mind, I have four years of undergraduate, uh, six years of undergraduate school with two degrees, two years of Bible college. I have a master's degree plus nine hours towards a doctorate. And then I stopped myself. I said, what am I doing? Yes, those words stung me, but why am I allowing those words to affect me 40 years later? 40 years later. So at that moment, I decided to drop the rock and get rid of that resentment. Today, we're gonna to be look at, looking at ways of dropping the rock of pain and not being held captive by resentment of forgiving those who have wronged us. We're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. And this is a great passage. Peter 
Gotta love Peter. Uh, anytime you read a, a, a discourse with Peter and Jesus, just kind of pay attention to it because Peter kind of jumps all in and fumbles around. But you know what? Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, you, Petros, I will build my church. So verse 21 of Matthew 18, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? How often? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. You see, in this particular discourse with Jesus, Peter was being very generous. The traditional rabbinic teaching at that time said, you need to forgive someone three times. And on the fourth offense, wash your hands from them and you do not need to forgive them. So Peter was trying to impress Jesus by more than doubling the amount of forgiveness that he offered someone. Jesus says not only seven times, but 77 times. Several other versions of the Bible, the King James, New American Standard, and NIV say 70 times seven. Whether it's seven times seven or 70 times seven or seven, 77 times, we know it's a lot. The point that Jesus was trying to make here is offer and seek forgiveness as much and as long as it takes. Then Jesus goes on to tell a story to Peter. In, in, the, in, the, in the biblical theology that we know, we call those stories parables. And what a parable is, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is not wise to hang our doctrinal hats on a parable. A parable is just a story. So this parable, beginning in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 18, says, therefore, Jesus speaking to Peter, telling this story, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, in my mind, I had to wrestle with this. What is a talent? Why is there 10,000 of them? Why is Jesus mentioning this? In the biblical time at that time, a talent was basically a measure of gold weighing approximately 58 to 80 pounds. So one measure of gold weighing approximately 58 to 80 pounds. So Jesus was telling Peter about this story about this man who owed the king 10,000 talents. Actually, that is an insurmountable debt approximately 580 to 800,000 pounds of gold. One pound of gold in today's uh, society is a little over $26,000 a pound. The point Jesus was making to Peter was the, the servant had a debt that he could never repay. Sound familiar? I think we all have a debt that we could never repay. And that's why we needed the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 25 of this passage, Jesus says, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring Jesus. So now we see that this servant has a debt that he cannot repay. Now that we see the, the, the king, the master, wants to enslave the entire family and deal treacherously with them. And then the king and the servant have this discourse back and forth with one another. See, point one is this. To forgive 
we must be humble. We must go to the person. Quite frankly, this is a very hard first step. Do you ever know that you needed to forgive someone or ask someone to forgive you? And, and you have that angst inside of you, like, I know that I need to talk to this person. I know I need to share with this person my heart. But that first meeting, that first eye-to-eye -eye glance, once the offense has taken place, is very, very, very hard. The first face-to-face -face conversation after the offense is difficult. None of us usually like conflict or confrontation. But we need to humble ourselves and we need to go to the person. So it goes on in verse 26. The slave said, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of his debt. Now, wait a minute. What transpired there? We had the king ready to throw this guy and all of his family and incarcerate them the rest of their lives. And the man pleaded with the king and the king's heart softened. Have patience with me, he said, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Whoa, that's a lot of debt to be forgiven, isn't it? That's a lot of debt to be forgiven. I'd like to have 800,000 pounds of gold right now, but that debt I would not want to have. Our second point is this, to forgive, we need to be honest. We need to reason with the person. Be honest and reason with the person. When you reason with the person, don't get combative or defensive. Don't try to get your point across at all costs. You hurt me and let me tell you why you hurt me and this is why it hurt me and I deserve better. No. Reason and listen through the lens of humility. Remember that humility part. Reason and listen through the lens of humility. Verse 28. But when the saving servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Now, this guy was forgiven an insurmountable debt, and yet someone owes him some denarii. And what a denarii is, basically, it's worth about 16 cents in today's wages. It was one day's worth of a laborer's wage. So the guy owed him 100 days of labor. And the man that was forgiven did not forgive. He began to choke him. Pay what you owe. Pay what you owe. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay, until he should pay the debt. Now, do you see the irony here? The man that was forgiven an insurmountable amount would not forgive someone of a meager amount. What does that tell you and I about forgiveness? We have been forgiven much, haven't we? Let us practice the practice of forgiveness. 
Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master everything that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. See, the point that Jesus is making here is that for, for to be forgiven, we must forgive. For to be forgiven, we must forgive. Verse 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now that takes it a more deeper level, doesn't it? Forgiveness is a mindset change and a heart action. Forgiveness is a mindset chain, change and a heart action. Point three is this, to forgive, we need to do it from the heart and love the person. Do I harbor resentment in my heart? Or do I harbor humility, honesty, and forgiveness in my heart? Forgiveness is the freeing of the captivity of resentment. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is the freeing of the captivity of resentment. Several years ago, I had 40 years of resentment built up in my heart towards that teacher that I had to let go. Forgiveness is the freeing of the captivity of resentment. Me forgiving you is freeing me because I'm freeing myself of this captivity of resentment. Me forgiving you is freeing me because I'm freeing myself of this captivity of resentment. Forgiveness is a picture of God's grace. Divine and human forgiveness go hand in hand, don't they? The point is that nothing men can do to us can any way compare with what we have done to God. And if God has forgiven us the debt that we owe him, we must forgive others the debt that they owe us. Nothing that we have to forgive can even faintly or remotely compare with what we have been forgiven. So that person, that family member, that friend, that neighbor, that colleague, that, 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 that student that, that, you, that you sit beside, the person that offended you, what do you do with that person? You love them. You love them in spite of the offense. As Matthew Henry, Henry comment, uh, uh, writes, he said, we often wrong ourselves, but we soon forgive our, ourselves those wrongs and they do not all lessen our love to ourselves. And in the like manner, we should love our neighbor. Worship team, please come up. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight, he writes this very deep theological, but also applicable passage. The theological term for this passage is the great kenosis. And what kenosis is, it's the concept of self-emptying. The concept of self-emptying. 
The theological term for this passage is the great kenosis, the emptying of Jesus' own will, and he became entirely receptive to God's will. First three says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more important than yourselves. Let each of you not only look out for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when Jesus was hanging on that cross, and when he was suffering all of that pain from being whipped and scourged and beaten, bruised, mocked, spat upon, and when he had that crown of thorns in his head, and when he was hanging separate between heaven and earth on that tree, Jesus made a statement while he was in agony. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't know if I could have done that. As he's suspended between heaven and earth, he's seeking his father to forgive his tormentors. So the challenge for us today is this. It's found in the book of Ephesians, chapter four, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Let's follow the example of God's forgiveness through Christ for us. You see, forgiveness is a picture of God's grace. And divine and human forgiveness go hand in hand. To forgive, we need to be humble. We need to go to the person. To forgive, we need to be honest. We need to reason with the person. To forgive, we need it from the heart. Love the person. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Or is there someone that you need to seek forgiveness from? Is there someone that has hurt you or caused you pain that you are being held captive in your heart by resentment? Let that go. Drop that rock. Free yourself of the captivity of resentment and forgive that person. Today is the day for forgiveness. As we go to the Lord's table and we partake of the elements, let us thank God 
for forgiving us. And let's also ask him for the power to forgive those who have hurt us.